like that. Well, good morning. Wasn't that worship amazing? You know, amen, amen. How many would be interested in a night of music? Just a night of music. Just worshiping the Lord song after song after song and just walking out of here sung out for the glory of God. All right, we're going to have to plan one of those. I, I think that that would be an awesome thing to do. Well, good morning and welcome to the latest episode of Mission Impossible. This is a first century action-packed drama of, of a man by the name of Titus. It stars Titus, and uh, Titus is a guy who has been sent on a mission by none other than the Apostle Paul. And Paul told Titus that he needed to go to the island of Crete. And there on the island of Crete, it was his mission to go all around the island and establish leadership in all of the churches in order that the churches might be able to train the people of God to live godly lives of good works in a very pagan and lost culture. This was a serious mission, and it was a hard mission, hence Mission Impossible is kind of the theme behind what we're talking about. Now, if you have missed any of the episodes up till now, or if you would like to go binge-watching, I want to encourage you to use your GC app and go there, and we have each of the audios and each of the videos there for you, and you can watch to your heart's desire uh, to catch up on all that is going on. You know, expository preaching really does follow a theme a bit like a series of, of, of movies in, in a television series. You know, you begin here, and you go here, and you go here, and if you miss that one, you don't know what's going on over here, right? Well, to some degree, it's a bit like that when we preach from the text like we're doing. So I want to encourage you, if you've missed any episodes, go back, catch up, so you can fully appreciate what we're doing and where we're going. Now today, we're going to focus in on the home. How many have a home? I would hope you at all. Okay, how many have a house all right, or, or an apartment or someplace you live? Yeah, that's us, right? And so we're going to focus in on where we do our living, and we're going to focus in on Teaching them, Titus, teach them godly living. If you have your Bibles, we're in Titus chapter 2 this morning, Titus chapter 2. And I'd like for us to notice together the following verses of Scripture. Here we go. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 and verse 10. But as for you, Titus, this is Paul's instruction to Titus, but as for you, what I want you to do is teach... What accords with sound doctrine? Now, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, just, Titus, I want you to just preach sound doctrine. Although, preaching sound doctrine is a good thing. Amen? We want to know the truth. We want to know the truth about God, the truth about ourselves, and the truth about the world we live in. That's sound doctrine. But what he's saying is this. Don't just tell them these truths. Help people to actually live out what it means to know those truths, what is in accord with sound doctrine. And so last week we talked about the older men, of which I am. I am 50 years of age or older. How many older men are in the house, 50 years of age or older? Yeah, there's about, oh, come on, I know some of you are lying. No, no I'm just kidding. Yeah, there's a bunch of us. So last week when we were together, we talked about what it means to live a life that accords with sound doctrine or the teaching of the scripture. We talked about being sober-minded, being dignified, having self-control, and being sound or healthy in our faith, 
in our love towards God and others, and in our steadfastness, that means our ability to continue on to the end. Today, we're going to be looking at older women. How many... No, I won't go there. <clears throat> we'll, we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Now, there's a lot of truth in there. So they are able to teach what is good. And so, be able then to train the young women. How many young women? Now, we'll actually do, talk to the young women next week. Uh, love, to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. We'll talk about what that means in today's context, because I think there's a beautiful meaning that we can apply to today. Kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. How many ladies think it's fair that the young men only get one thing to do, and yet the women get all those other things to do? Well, I can guarantee you we will invest more than enough energy and time in that one word, self-control, for young men, that you won't feel like they're missing out. All of this is so that. In other words, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach a godly lifestyle. Why? This is purpose. So that, in order that, in everything they, the people of God, notice, may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I said this last week, I'll say it again this week, I will probably say it again next week, and I'll probably say it again the following week. You are the only Bible that most people are ever going to read. How we choose to live our lives will be hopefully an adornment or a beautification of the reality of a relationship with God. So people are drawn towards what is different in our lives. What is it that makes you tick? Why did you make that choice in light of what everybody else is doing? I did that because I, I know him and I love him. And I want to follow him with my life because he gave his life for me. And so we can actually adorn the gospel with the actions of our lives. That was his purpose in having Titus do all of this teaching. Now, as I said today, we already looked at older men last week. And guys, if you missed that episode, go back. Uh, hit rewind on your, your, your thing and watch it through. Because I think it's important that we understand what God expects of us. But today, we're going to focus in on the topic of older women. Older women. I feel like I need to pray right now. Uh, this week, I have asked a number of gentlemen in my lives to, to pray for me because I knew I'd be speaking on this topic and I wanted to address it in a healthy manner. I'm asking God to give me the words to say and not say any more than I should say. Uh, so if you would pray with me, I would appreciate it because I want to make sure I say this well and correct. Father, thank you uh, for your love for us, your children. We know that we've done nothing to deserve the privilege of being called a child of God whether that's a male child or a female child. We've done nothing, but we've been the recipients of your goodness and your grace. But with your grace, with your goodness, comes the responsibility and the power to live differently. And so, Father, I just pray as we make our way through the text today that some of the older women in our midst will understand what it means to beautify to adorn the doctrine of God. Grant us your help through your Holy Spirit, I pray. 
in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, thank you. I do appreciate you praying with me over this. Now, last week when we were together, again, I, I could speak to the guys pretty straight up because I was speaking to myself. So I feel like I can be kind of hard and bold because I was speaking to myself as well. So I took a lot of liberties and kind of pushed the envelope there with the, with the older men. Uh, and what we did last week is I used a metaphor, a metaphor of the, the high jump. Remember that? And with that metaphor of the high jump, what I wanted us to appreciate was the reality of, of the, this, that what God calls us to What God calls us to is often way beyond our capacity to ever really achieve. But it's that ideal, at the height of that bar, the ideal that we're continuing to strive for to ultimately honor God. So I use this metaphor of jumping the high jump to see how high we can fly by the grace of God rather than to see how low we can go uh, playing our old unsaved game of limbo. And I use this, guys, older guys, Because I believe the older we get, the easier it is to be complacent in the Christian life. Because as we go on and we realize our own failings more and more and our inabilities to actually achieve these ideals of the Word of God, sometimes we can just give up in the process. We can feel like, what do we keep doing? Why do we want to do this? So we can become indifferent or complacent or even desire to give up and go into sin management And so the imagery was to resonate with us. Now remember, the Apostle Paul was an old guy telling Titus, a young guy, what to say to the old guys. And it was basically this, be steadfast. Be steadfast. Don't give up. Endure. Persevere. And then ultimately when we meet Jesus Christ, we will be able to hear those incredible words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So that's what we used last week for the older guys. I'm going to change up our metaphor. Oh, some poor baby's not feeling well. Do we have any mother's hearts in house? Just yearning for that little one. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Some mom probably needs to get up. But I'm just kidding, mom. Just keep, just hang in there. Our nursery workers are well qualified. And so they will take care of her needs or his needs. So along these lines, I'm going to change up our metaphor. You see, I can use the high jump in Jesus being kind of our personal trainer and the high bar being what we're to strive toward. I'm going to change it up now that we're talking about older men and younger women, older women and younger women, next, next week younger women. Since we're changing up our metaphor, uh, I'm going to do it this way. So ladies, I want to introduce to you not the metaphor of Jesus as our personal trainer or the high bar, But I want to introduce to you this morning the metaphor of Jesus Christ being the heavenly bridegroom and him giving to you an engagement ring, expecting that ultimately the fulfillment of the marriage will happen. Which means in the process of all of this, you are to find in Christ everything and to be faithful and have fidelity and purity with Jesus Christ the lover of your soul. How many ladies would like this ring? <clears throat> okay, guys, there's a clue for you. I, no, don't break the bank for that. So, so what we have here is the marriage imagery. And that's all through the Bible to describe uh, God's relationship with Israel and Jesus' relationship with the church. 
They use marriage language because there's no more intimate relationship in, in, in life than a, a man and a wife. And so that imagery is used of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth. He said this, For I feel, said Paul to the people in Corinth, I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I went to all the trouble to betroth you to one husband. In other words, I preached the gospel to you. And you embrace Christ with your life. I have betrothed you. Notice the imagery here. It's beautiful. I have, I have introduced to you. And, and he, you are now engaged to Jesus. And my goal is to present you as a pure virgin to Jesus Christ. Again, the Apostle Paul, using imagery of, of marriage to talk about this relation, said this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He said this, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now he's talking about the good news. When you heard the good news of Jesus Christ's undying love for you, and you believed in him, you were then sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee. This word in the original language is the word arabon, arabon. It is the word engagement ring in, in Greek. It is the word engagement ring. So the Holy Spirit is Christ's engagement ring given to us to guarantee our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. So rather than using the personal trainer imagery and the high bar, unless you believe this is sexist, ladies, you can use that if you want. That's up to you. I'm just trying to relate to you one of the beautiful images of Scripture. Jesus Christ is your heavenly bridegroom, and you are espoused or you are engaged to him, and the engagement ring he has left you with is the indwelling Holy Spirit. Right now, if you have a ring on, ladies, I'd like you to just kind of Put your fingers around it and kind of twirl it a little bit. It might be the engagement ring your husband gave you. But I'd like you to think about what an engagement ring means. An engagement ring means that the wedding is soon to come. An engagement ring means I am now off the market. An engagement ring means that I am soon to be the exclusive partner to somebody. That's exactly who Jesus is. He is coming back one of these days very soon. And he is going to take his bride to himself. And there, there is going to be what's called the millennial kingdom. 1,000 year reign and rule of Jesus Christ on the earth. And that 1,000 years is the father's party for his son getting married. We're going to spend 1,000 years rejoicing and having a great time in this huge party called the marriage supper of the lamb. And then the eternal state starts where the marriage is consummated and we go on to live with Jesus Christ forever. Amen? So this is the imagery that, ladies, I want you to wrap your hearts around. You are called to fidelity. You are called to love. You are called to purity and holiness of heart with this unique one called Jesus Christ. With this in mind, let's go to the text. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Using this imagery... For the grace of God has appeared. As we spoke last week, the grace of God is not a concept or, or just some theological category or a principle. The grace of God is Jesus. For Jesus has appeared. And he is bringing salvation for all people. If you will but bend your knee, repent of your sin, and embrace him with your life, he will then become your heavenly bridegroom. 
And as such, his goal is to train us. Ladies, for you, it is to, to speak into your lives, to woo you, to instruct you to a life of fidelity and faithfulness during this engagement period. He wants you to say no to cheating on him with the world. He wants you to say no to prostituting yourselves to other suitors. He wants you to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and keep yourself for him and him only in all purity by keeping and obeying his word so that you would live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So Jesus, your heavenly bridegroom, desires you to be holy, beautiful, desirous of him. He wants you, and please hear this, ladies in particular, he wants you to find your identity in him. That's important as we move forward. He wants you to find your primary identity in this life in him okay <clears throat> older women older women now last week when we were together we talked about the fact that uh, was it Herodotus and, and, and AARP and the Bible all seem to agree that the older man was about 50 years of age and it's very likely that the older woman is about that age herself. She's about 50 years of age, or if you will, her children have grown, and there's a good chance there could be grandchildren in your life. So about 50 years of age. Uh, I told my wife, Bambi, I said, Bambi, uh, according to the scriptures, and as I understand this, I believe that an older woman is 50 years of age or older. She looked at me and wasn't very happy with that. She says, I'm not old. I said, I didn't say you were old. I said, you, you were. That didn't make any difference at all. So I, I can't win on this topic. And so I will not ask how many older women there are in the house uh, because that would just be foolish and I don't want to do that. But older women are those who are about 50 years of age or older who have their children grown up and possibly could have grandchildren or you're just at a stage in life where, where you are independent at this point and so that's kind of what he's speaking to here the older women are those people he says likewise older women likewise now there's a very good chance that the word likewise actually rolls backward into what he's already described to be true of older men in other words, older women, like older men, should also be sober-minded, should also be dignified, should also be self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Those are not just qualities for men. They're qualities for godly people. And so there's a good chance the word likewise actually rolls back and encompasses those very same terms on, on the women's lives as well. But he goes on to say this, and I'm going to summarize it. He says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, or slaves to much wine, but rather they are to teach what is good. Okay. Older women, you know who you are. I will not identify you. You can self-identify if you want. Older women, let me give you two words that are to summarize the part of life you're now in before the Lord. Your ministry in the local church, even. Older women are those who are mature, and their mentors. That is what an older woman is in the scripture. They are mature 
mentors at this point of life. Now, I'm going to break down both mature, what that means, and what it means to be a mentor in the next few moments. So here we go. Let's break down the idea of being mature. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Reverent in behavior. Now, this is immediately coupled, again, with this idea of one who adorns the doctrine of God our Savior. So, reverent in behavior, the older woman is indeed one who is now learning to adorn or live out the doctrine of God in her lifestyle. She's consistently seeking to apply the Word of God to her life. Not perfectly. None of us is perfect this side of heaven. Amen? But there's always grace and forgiveness to get up and to keep striving towards the goals God has for His children. And so, to be mature is one who is reverent in behavior. And I I appreciated this instruction uh, given by a woman of God. Uh, She said this concerning reverent in behavior. She said, an older woman now sees life, all of life, from God's viewpoint. And understands that even the very mundane things of life are important to God. Watch her walk through her day in order to see what is next to God's heart. Her life revolves around the things that matter to him now. You see, you've lived enough life, you've had enough experiences, you've had enough hardships to realize that ultimately what matters is him in your life, in loving him in your life. You see, that's what years of life do to you. That's what hardships do to you. That's what time does to you as you walk with Jesus. He slowly kind of peels away all the hopes, the dreams, the things you thought life would be, and he leaves you with himself. And you realize, you know, he was everything I ever wanted anyway as you make this journey forward. So it is this idea of finding in Jesus Christ your identity. I appreciate the way somebody translated reverent. Uh, The word reverent in the Greek is a compound word that combines the idea of being sacred, holy, or consecrated to Christ with behavior that is fitting and appropriate. An old commentator by the name of William Barclay put it this way, Hey Titus, I want you to charge the older woman to be in demeanor such as befits those who are engaged in sacred things. Or let me add to that, or those who are engaged to the sacred one. You now live your life in fidelity to your heavenly bridegroom because every day that passes, you know you're getting closer to that day where the wedding will happen and the marriage will take place and you are refining yourself, seeking to live accordingly to what he desires for you. You see, the reason I'm using this imagery of the heavenly bridegroom is because as we live our lives, older women, the better part of your life is behind you. The many years of life, you've lived more years than you're probably going to live into the future. And so with that reality of our own mortality in the coming of eternity, we start to refine our thinking in our lives, in our minds, in our relationships to be ready, to be ready for him. So that's what it means to be mature. It's somebody who is growing in this this way. Now, I just want to kind of go on with two more ideas here uh, because they help to clarify a little bit more. An older woman, 50 and older, 
They're meant to be reverent in behavior or they're actively adorning the doctrine of God our Savior. Which means this. Dear older women, you are not slanderers. You are not slanderers. What a strange word. You are not slanderers. Um, you see, your relationship with Jesus Christ has now gotten to the point in your life where you no longer need to control everything. We all have an idea of what we think we want in life. We start out young and we kind of grow up and, you know, little girls think about being princesses and they look for the, the knight in shining armor who's going to ride up on that white steed and rescue them. They're going to live happily ever after in some beautiful Disney castle, you know, add a slipper and a little bit of pixie dust. And, you know, most of us grow up believing that I'm going to marry just the awesomest person and we're going to have the most incredible kids and life is going to be amazing. Right? Most of us want an amazing life. Amen? How's that working for you? Yeah, not so, not exactly what we thought. Okay, well, there's a great, I'd love to, we'll have a discussion afterwards. I want to see what, what's going on in your life. You know, but most people end up with a lot of broken dreams and disappointments along the way. And what can happen, ladies? Please hear me. What can happen is this. Because your husband is not everything you thought he should be, you now begin to control him. You begin to manipulate him with your words or even your wiles and, and you put him in his place and you nag him and you tell him, I'm going to punish you until you get this right in your life. We have the ability to manipulate and control people with our, with our desires, don't we? Come on. You know, the reality is this. We think we have to fix it all. We think it's our responsibility to make our husband be who he's supposed to be. And then our kids. Did you know kids are broken? We thought they came into the world perfect. Well, guess what? They're not. And you set them on a course towards life and dreams and hopes, and then they veer off course, and you're like, ah, you can't do that. And then we helicopter parent. Brrr, 18, 19, 22. Brrr, everywhere we go, we're, we're helicopter parenting them because we have to fix their lives, right? We have to control everything a godly woman a mature woman has come to the place in her life where she realizes it's not my job to control my husband or my kids how's that working for you not so good not so good why because guys don't like to be controlled I'm just speaking Men don't like to be manipulated. They don't like to be put in a corner and told what to do. Men don't like that. Do you know what men like? I'm telling you, ladies, this is a key to your marriage. Do you know what men like? They like to be married. They like to be loved. They want to be loved. Men want to be loved. Amen? Men. Amen? Yes. Ladies, don't fix us. Love us. We're broken too. Love us. Love us. Don't try to fix us. Don't manipulate us. Don't coerce us. Don't manage us. Love us. And you know, uh, a mature woman in Christ has come to the point in her life where she realizes, it's not my job to change my husband. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, said this. She said, it is God's job to change Billy. It's my job to love him. There is so much wisdom in that. 
if you want a healthy, wonderful home life, if you want it to be the best it can be, simply do what God's called you to do, not what he's supposed to do. Love your husband. Love him in, 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 in the living room. If he's watching sports, you know, take up a desire for sports. Maybe you have nothing you like to do with sports, but take on sports. When Bam and I got married, she started liking the New England Patriots. Why? Because I made her? No. But because I did. And she wanted to be with me. So she did. And then our kids did. And so we, we just kind of had this thing as a family. But she didn't like sports before I met her. But she chose to like sports because I do. You see, that's love. That's love in the living room. Love them in the kitchen. Cook him some fantastic meals. Do something special. Do something amazing. Do something unexpected. That'll be amazing. He'll feel loved. And I'm going to say this too because the Bible speaks very loudly of this over and over again. Love him in the bedroom. Just love him. If you love him, the likelihood is he'll love you back. You control him and he'll regret it and he'll hold spite and he'll become bitter. But if you love him, the chance is he will love you back. When Bambi and I were getting married, <coughs> um, the church held a shower for her. And the senior pastor's wife, April Bartlett, wrote on one of those little cards, you know, life's wisdom, put it in a basket for Bambi to have for our marriage. And it was simply this. Treat him like a king, and he'll treat you like a queen. And can I just say, I have been treated like a king most of my marriage, and I hope I've treated her like a queen. That's what happens when you do it God's way. Now, now in our kids' lives, <clears throat> you know, we, we've got to control them because, you know, they don't know what they're doing. And so we just have to manage them all the way up through college. What are you doing? No. That's not how it works. You love your kids. You meet your kids' needs. You help them. But you let God control them. Do you know why this stuff never works to manipulate and control people? It's found in this word. <clears throat> that word, slanderers, Right there in the text is the Greek word diabolos. It's also translated the devil in some places. So you see, when we're about doing God's job of manipulating and controlling other people's lives, we're doing the devil's work for him. It's by loving our husbands and loving our children that we end up being God's woman in this family, watching God change their lives. That's not your job. And that's exactly what older women have come to discover. I can't change my husband. I can't make my kids be what I want them to be. I give them to you, Christ. I trust you with their lives. Jesus Christ becomes your identity, not your husband. <laughs> because no man alive has ever been given the capacities to meet every need a woman has. Don't ever put that on your husband and not your kids. You know what? Husbands die or they divorce. Kids grow up and move away. And if your identity is in these things, you are going to be discouraged and depressed. Jesus Christ is now your identity. Older women have come to appreciate that fact. They're reverent in behavior because they trust Christ. They're not seeking to manipulate and control others. But secondly, not only do they trust Christ to control uh, the relationships in their lives, but secondly, they also are not controlled by other things. Not controlled by other things. Nor slaves too much wine. Now, Paul put his finger on the issue of controlling substances. 
But this actually could refer to anything that becomes controlling in our lives or a love in our lives other than Christ. Sometimes these are referred to as idols or false gods in our lives. So it's really anything that can control us. But let's, let's drop back onto the idea of, of wine or alcohol today. Um, over the past 15 years, the use of alcohol by women has risen dramatically. Dramatically. And scientists really have no explanation for the upswing in drinking, but this much they do know. When it comes to alcohol, women lose the battle of the sexes on almost every front. More and more women are struggling with heavy drinking and alcoholism today, a disorder that was once believed to be primarily a man's issue. And they often experience, women often experience the harmful effects of the disease of alcoholism more rapidly than do men. And that's due to the difference in weight, metabolism, and hormones. That means that in a woman, it takes less time and lower amounts of alcohol to add up to serious health problems. Liver inflammation, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and neurotoxicity. And a dependence upon the substance can also develop more quickly in women as well. Now, they have no idea why, over the last 15 years, quite frankly, alcoholism has risen so dramatically amongst young women in particular, as well as some older women. But the whole female population is starting to escalate. And the male population is actually kind of just stabilized at this point. But the women are starting to catch up. A lot of women want to be men. Congratulations, you're almost doing it in that area. That's sad. So why is it that so many women are, are turning to alcohol, if you will? They're being controlled by this substance. Can I just say? It's because there has never been more doubt as to what it means to be a woman today than there has ever been. What does it even mean to be a woman? Well, to be a woman means, let's see, you're, you're, you're to have all the life you want. You can do anything, right? You can do anything, right? You can do anything. Isn't that what we tell them? You can be anything you want to be. Well, I have always wanted to be the center for the Celtics, but that's not working good for me. I don't know about you. You see, you can't be anything you want to be. We need to let people know that. So, so, but we tell them, you can be anything you want to be, and, and, and you can do it all. You can have it all. Well, all we're basically telling people is this. You can be Wonder Woman. Oh, by the way, we'll use her analogy next week. But Wonder Woman, you know her, she can defeat whole armies and stop counterinsurgencies, and she can go home and she can cook up the bacon and never let you forget you're a man. She can do it all. But can I tell you, Wonder Woman is a fictional character. And too many women are trying to be Wonder Woman. In the process of that, not knowing what it means to be a woman, being told that I can do and I should do everything and I can have it all, people are getting depressed. And they know they can't do all this, and yet the pressures of society are on them and the pressures of their social groups are on them. And so people are self-medicating today in greater rates than ever before because it's a lie. You can't be anything you want to be, and you can't have it all. But we tell them that. And so they grow up with those incredible pressures on them. But you know, older women, older women have found freedom in Christ to love and to please Him and not to be caught up in the culture's ideas for women. You know, you should strive for equality. You should strive for equality. Every woman should strive for equality. Well, those older women have said, you know what? I have found equality in Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. I've got equality in Jesus. He is my primary identity. It's not my job. It's not my family. It's Jesus. And I've got equality. Well, you know what? You should really push for equal pay for equal work. Equal pay for equal work. Well, Jesus already gives me equal pay for equal work. Notice what he promises me. He says this, For whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. He is going to richly reward us for faithfulness to him. You don't have to be everything he is. You don't have to strive for everything. He has already given it to you in his relationship with you. And then you don't need power and position. You don't have to do that. Older women know that because they have that in Jesus. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The kingdom of God is given to Christ. And we're in Christ. And he gives it to us. An older, mature woman of Christ is someone who has found her identity in the person of Jesus Christ. She loves her husband. She loves her children. She sacrificially gives herself away to them. But her identity is not in her husband, and her identity is not in being a mother. She may even have a job, and she works really hard and is very successful, but her identity is not in that job. Because guess what? If you get sick and you can't go to work tomorrow, by the end of the week, they'll have your position filled, and they'll forget who you were. That's just the way it works. If your identity is in your job, your kids, or your husband, you're always going to be depressed. You're always going to be longing. You're always going to be missing out. But when you find it in him, you found everything you've been looking for. So older woman, you're striving, I pray, towards that relationship and holiness with Jesus Christ. Because such women who find that in Jesus, he is their all in all, they are now ready to mentor. Tim Keller tweeted this week this saying, the Bible says that our real problem is that every one of us is building our identity on something beside Jesus. And so long as that's the case, we will always be lacking and always be failing. But when Jesus Christ becomes our all in all, we are in the best possible place. Okay. Mature. Reverent in behavior, actively adorning the doctrine of God, no longer having to have control, but rather trusting Christ to control the relationships in your life. You're simply doing what he calls you to do, which is to love. And you're not slaves to much wine. In other words, you're not controlled by something else. You're controlled by Jesus Christ. Now, mentors. Older women make perfect mentors for younger women. You know, there's a, an old saying, and it goes something like this. Man works from son to son, but a woman's work is never done. And all the women said, yeah, you know, you come home from work, and you got the kid, and then you got to do all this, and you got the laundry, and then you got the, I know, I know, it's just never done. But you know, sometimes I think, we can think that I raised my kids. <laughs> I raised my kids. Now, I got grandbabies now. Don't, don't be talking to me about nursery. I did my time. 
<laughs> you know, don't, don't be talking to me about children's programs. I did my time. I get that. I get that. You did your time. You did your time. As a parent, you were in there laboring with the other kids, and you were there through Awana and all that stuff. I, you did your time. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for loving well on the kids through your kids' ages. But now that your kids have been raised, it's not time to say, I'm done. The real work is just starting. You are now in the perfect position in the life of the church to be a mature mentor to younger women. To show them how to love their husbands. To show them how to love their children. To tell them what it means to be a godly woman at home. You learn that through those years. Now you have that wisdom to give to these younger women as they try to make sense of how life works. So what I want you to understand is you, you're not done. You're just beginning. There's, there's so much more to do. I heard a story about a woman by the name of Joy Brown. It's a cool story. Joy Brown was in her 70s, ladies. She was in her 70s. When her pastor, a man by the name of Tommy Nelson from Denton Bible Church in Denton, Texas, he came to Joy and he said, hey, Joy. She was always happy. Hey, Joy. He goes, uh, who are you mentoring these days? Who are you discipling? And Joy in her 70s looked back at her pastor with horror in her face. She goes, I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs> to which Pastor Nelson, uh, Tommy Nelson said to her, he said, honey, he says, if you're not ready, nobody's ready. You came to Jesus at a young age. You grew up in the church. You've had a godly relationship with your husband. You've seen your children grow up. You now have grandkids and great-grandkids. You have heard some of the best preaching that's ever been given in America. You have sat under teaching for years and years, and you've been in women's Bible studies for years. He said, get ready, Joy, and she didn't know what that meant. So Pastor Nelson went over to the head of women's ministries and he said, uh, I don't want Joy signing up for any more women's Bible studies. I don't want her any more Bible studies. Sherry knows it all. She doesn't need to be in any more of those studies. So he went back to Joy and he said to Joy, hey Joy, um, I'm going to commission you for the ministry. She's like, what? Yes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you have a group of teenage girls. And with these teenage girls, I want you to teach them what it means to be a woman. Joy was overwrought. She didn't know what to do. So she took copious notes and all these lesson plans that she was going to teach these young girls. And she built a big binder. And she went there the first day. And there was a bunch of teenage girls. And she was in her 70s. She hardly knew what to do with them. Six months later, she hadn't even touched her notes. Because as soon as she got in there, the girls were just curious. Wow, what was it like when you were born? What was it like to live in those days? What was it like to get married? Tell us your love story. Tell us about raising your kids. How many grandbabies do you have? And, and then she got into their lives telling them about what it means to know Jesus in the midst of all of this. This story is, is a contemporary one. Joy is now in her 90s in this church in Denton, Texas. And she has a flock of young women who follow her all around the church. Wherever Joy is, is this flock of young women. And the church jokingly refers to those girls who flock around her as brownies. Because her name is Joy Brown. All that to say, ladies, you're never out of the game. You're always meant to play a role as a mentor in younger women's lives. Whether they be teenage girls, young mothers... Uh, people with grandkids, you know, there's, there's always opportunity. <sighs> a 
there's always opportunity. With that in mind, I want to let you know about an upcoming opportunity. Uh, a woman by the name of Nancy DeMoss. How many of you are familiar with Nancy DeMoss? Nancy Lee DeMoss? Nancy DeMoss? Uh, she recently got married, and uh, today her last name is whatever that is. <laughs> Wolgenmuth. All right, Nancy DeMoss Wolgenmuth. She has been uh, a single gal right up until last year. She got married. And so she wrote a book uh, that came out in 2017. What's this year? This is as contemporary as you get. She just wrote a book. It is a, a, an explanation of Titus chapter 2, which we happen to be working on. And she wrote this book called Adorned. Have you heard that anywhere? It's Adorning the Doctrine of God. It's called Living Out the Beauty of the Gospel Together. And this book on the back cover says this, Women to Women, Older and Younger, Side by Side, Life on Life. This is God's good and beautiful plan. So this book I purchased when I first saw it come out, and I gave five copies out to the women who will be overseeing women's ministry in the church in the fall. And I have asked them all to read it and to establish the upcoming women's ministry around this idea of women to women, older and younger, side by side, life on life. I want to encourage you, ladies. Maybe you're a younger woman. Maybe you're an older woman. You're trying to figure out, how do I become a mature mentor? How do I get plugged in? How do I help younger women? Please keep your ears open. As the fall comes, we're going to be launching this opportunity. And I'd love for you to come out to engage with the women and find out how you can play your role in the family of God in the life of another woman. So we're moving in that direction. I hope you're excited about that, ladies. I am as the pastor of the church because this is God's plan for helping women to grow up godly in Christ Jesus. All right. <clears throat> so, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. I only went through verse 12. I want you to see verse 13. You're waiting for him. You're watching for him. You're longing for him. The blessed hope, Jesus. The appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify, to purify beautiful white gown for himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Last week I gave the guys this image. It comes from Matthew chapter 25. And I said, guys, we don't stop yearning and stretching for that high bar until the final time we jump to achieve that standard, we land in the arms of Jesus Christ. And then we hear those wonderful words, well done, my good and faithful servant. We don't stop until that time. Ladies, let me give you an image. Let me give you an image that I hope will help you to keep your eyes up and your hopes forward. And this is the image This comes from Matthew 25 as well. Notice what it says in Matthew 25. Jesus' words before he left this earth to keep his people watching for him. Ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, and right now he's delayed, they all became kind of drowsy and they slept. But... At midnight, there was a cry. He's here. The bridegroom is here. Come out and meet him. That day's coming. 
Then all those virgins rose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, Since we have not enough for us and for you, rather go to the dealers and buy for yourselves. While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I, I'm sorry. I, I do not know you. So Jesus' last words, just prior to the crucifixion, Watch, therefore, for you know not neither the day nor the hour. As a bride looks forward to her wedding day, look forward to the coming of your heavenly bridegroom. Keep your gaze upward, and in so doing, you will keep your life pure in expectation of him coming for you. Can I ask you, dear older lady, older woman, is your lamp gone out? Has your lamp gone out? Have you just fell asleep and have been in, in, in indifference for years, just going through the motions, just living for yourself? Has your lamp gone out? I pray not. I pray not. In fact, let me use our closing element. Uh, we will have communion this morning. Let me use our closing element as an encouragement for you ladies in particular, but all of us, to examine your heart before the bridegroom to see if you see him to see if you're expecting him to see if you're ready for him I want to invite those who will be serving this morning to come down and serve uh, go ahead and hand out these elements in the next few moments there's going to be a song play I'd like you to listen to the words because they're about a heart that expects to see Jesus may this be our heart
should be our heart's attitude towards Jesus Christ today. You're beautiful, and I can't wait to see you face to face. The marriage supper of the Lamb is soon to come. In fact, it can happen virtually any time. But until it happens, we've been given these instructions until the Lord Jesus Christ himself returns. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26 these words. He said he took the bread, and after he had blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples And he said this before going to the cross to redeem us. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. Let's partake of the piece of bread, which represents the body of Christ. Next, he took the cup when he had given thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's partake of the juice, which represents the blood of Christ shed for our sins. But notice what Jesus went on to say. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And that day is Revelation 19. When I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. And it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And Jesus redeemed us to become his very unique possession, that we would be zealous of good works. Those are so important, because ultimately they're... what beautifies us in his presence as we believe he to be true today. Let's pray and we will be done. Lord Jesus, you are beautiful. And the more we dwell on you, the more beautiful you become. Help us to see your face in every sunrise. Help us to see you in all the matters of life. Help us to live expectant lives knowing that soon you're coming back for us. And someday we'll spend forever 
forever with you in the beauty of oneness. Help us, O oh God, to keep these truths very firmly rooted in our minds because they make a difference in our lives. May we be those who adorn the gospel, I pray. In Jesus' name, and the people of God said, amen. Next week, young women. Ooh, here we go. 